Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode of Behind the Screen is brought to you by Icebox on HBO. NPR Rave's Icebox is a film, quote, every American needs to see. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding television, movie, and all other categories. Some of you will not be coming back. There's no other way of telling you that. Just basic statistics tell us that. If in your final moments you see death. Hello. Think not of death. Think of the living. And know this, that your sacrifice will not have been in vain. It doesn't make a difference who wins the war to someone who's dead. You're saying he's had his balls blown off. Approximately, sir. I want to see. Holy Moses! Don't kill the goats! You still think you're going to get out of here? You're out of here! What? What is this nonsense? Insanity is contagious. Hip, hip! Hip, hip! Hip, hip! Okay, then. Okay, then. Great. Yes, sir. Hip, hip! That's some catch, that catch 22. The latest work from respected composers Harry Gregson Williams and Rupert Gregson Williams is George Clooney's Hulu miniseries Catch 22, based on Joseph Heller's 1961 satirical novel set during World War II. This also marks the first time the two brothers collaborated on a production together. And today, the pair join us to discuss their careers and collaboration on Catch 22. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Harry Gregson Williams and Rupert Gregson Williams were born in England to a musical family. Harry's long list of film and television credits include all four installments of the animated Shrek franchise, for which he garnered a BAFTA Award nomination. He also received Golden Globe and Grammy Award nominations for his score for The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Additional credits include Gone Baby Gone, Unstoppable, Chicken Run, Prometheus, and The Martian. Rupert received an Emmy nomination for Netflix's The Crown, a European Film Award for Hotel Rwanda, and an Annie Award nomination for B-Movie. His credits also include Hacksaw Ridge, Wonder Woman, and recently Aquaman. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. So first question is, this is the first time the two of you actually collaborated on a project. What was it about this one that brought you together? Well, I don't know that it was necessarily this one that brought us together. Rupert actually called me and said, isn't it about time we did something together? 
And I'd been thinking the same thing. I was a little bummed, actually, that he got to ask me first because I was planning on asking him. But we're both pretty busy with our own things. And it was around about that time he, after that conversation, said, you know, there is a possibility that um, as Clooney chap is looking for music for Catch-22 and we might be able to pitch for it. So to be quite honest, I said, how do we do that? Because I haven't really pitched it for anything for, for a while. And he said, oh, I tell you what, it's going to be a phone conversation. I'll do the talking. <laughs> so that's pretty much what happened, isn't it, Rupert? And uh, yeah, the tail note to that was that we had a great conversation on the phone with George and Grant Hesloff, and then crickets for about three days, nothing, silence. So I said, well, I phoned Rupert and said, look, next time we do this, I'll do the bloody talking. Clearly, this isn't working out, but actually, the next day, we did get a call from George, who hired us, so off we went. I think that's about how it happened. That's, that's pretty well exactly how it happened. It was worthwhile yeah. doing because of the breadth of material, I think, as well. Were you familiar with the novel? Yes, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, and the film, <laughs> which I don't think had any music. Well, I'd never seen any adaptation of it. Obviously, I knew the story. It's got the depth of emotion and fun, so I thought it was a good project for Harry and I. Yeah. Well, you know, because their beast has two heads as well. It was Grant and George... And so there's two of them, there's two of us. Let's elaborate on this a little. So what attracted you to the material? <laughs> I think it was the slightly off-kilterness of it. You know, there's a great breadth of emotion here. So there's a lot of laughs. There's you, a lot of... You've got to know that it swings from one to the other very quickly, so it was always going to be a bit of a challenge. Not that I wanted Harry and I to work on something that was just going to provide us with a challenge, but it, you know, it was good to find something that swings from emotion and deep emotion and trauma and then into fun and games pretty immediately. Add to that that Rupert has the gene in the family that has the jazz gene. You would say that. <laughs> I'm afraid I, it passed me over. So I don't think I'd have been particularly suitable to do this project alone. So it was unexpectedly quite a good one for us to do because when we started it looked like the jazz tone of the movie would probably be looked after by a series of needle drops that George was going to choose. He's got that running in the family hasn't it? His aunt Rosemary I think was a jazz singer so but it became quite clear that after we'd written our themes for the movie we probably were going to have to arrange them in a 1940s way so it was a good one that as I say Rupert's got a little bit of that running through his veins. So overall, what was the initial approach to the music and the material that you discussed with George Clooney on that call? It was more about the emotion, wasn't it, Harry? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, the jazz came later and the comedy. I think he really wanted to know how we would go about dealing with the emotion. Yeah. Didn't yeah. want to wear it too strongly on our sleeves. But later on, the comedy became obvious that we needed to deal with it and how we would turn left suddenly after a trauma. And George had a great way of just hitting it ironically with a needle drop. And we replaced some of those, and we found our stride with the jazz later on. Yeah, on the call, he was mostly concerned with... He actually had been using some temp music that... Uh, again, it wasn't my music, <laughs> it was some of my brother's, which was quite emotional. I think, what was it from, Rick? Axel Ridge. Axel Ridge, yeah. There was a piece that he'd liked from that, which was quite emotional without being too ostentatious. And he liked that. He didn't want to be manipulative. He didn't want us to be too manipulative with the music. Yet he did want people to feel the horror and pain that uh, Yazarin feels throughout this thing. And then he did look more in my direction, maybe for when things start to get a little bit crazy, because they do in this. Yo-Yo tumbles off the edge, really. And you recorded in London? Yeah. Uh -huh. Angel Studios, yeah. mostly. 
and sometimes at my place for a soloist and two different sorts we did orchestral music and then we did some big band stuff which we mixed rather in sort of like a dual mono process which made it feel more authentic for the period right and then which orchestra did you work with it's the london session orchestra isabel griffiths provides you with the best in town and jazz wise we brought in a great friend of ours called evan jolly who's a fantastic trumpeter and he got together the big band well we're going to listen to some of your music let's start with bass camp at dawn yeah this is the first cue in the first episode and uses the theme that we wrote and this was the place that we had to try and find the precise notes for the theme and the arrangement of it that's the thing that we dug around a little bit for trying to find a lead instrument that we liked and that george liked and I can't remember what we ended up with. Yeah? Well, we did it in a few different ways. Violin. We had a piano, we had electric violin. We also used um, flugelhorn. flugelhorn. Yeah. Evan played flugel, and that was really, I thought that was that was my favourite arrangement yeah. of it, although I thought the electric violin was nice too. So. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so we got the bass camp at dawn was the very first cue in the first episode. Let's go to the title cue, Catch-22. Yeah, I'd like to say something about this. So Rupert had this nutty idea of an ostinato played by what sounds to me like a drainpipe. Kind of is a drainpipe. Well, no, it's, yeah. it isn't. isn't. It's a, it's a, is it a baritone sax? It's a baritone ten? sax, and I think maybe a bass flute. Yeah, so they yeah. both got their own drainpipe. Yeah, so basically it's kind of sowing the seeds of, of insanity in Yuzarian's mind. Well, in the audience's mind, that was reflective of what's going on in Yours Heron's mind. So it's kind of a very low saxophone. It sounds bloody very peculiar to me. I didn't think this was a winner at all. But, you know, what do I know? We played it for George, and he's like, yeah, I love it! So this kind of little ostinato follows Yuzarin around. He's running around his camp, and he's slowly going crazy. Um, it kind of trickles in when he starts to go crazy. And we used it again in another track called Bombing Run. And that's much more dramatic, and we use the same, the same, we didn't use the baritone sax, but we yeah. used, uh, actually I think we might have done as well, but it's quite useful, isn't it? about the Kid Samson cue. Uh, this is one, I mean, we figured that in most episodes, one of these poor lads comes to a sticky end. There's usually one of Yazarian's contemporaries dies. And in this episode, one of the lads we've come to know is Kid Samson. He's flying his plane and loses control slightly.
So this piece, uh, Moving the Line, occurs probably halfway through the six-part series, and it's a moment where Yazerian goes to a map and tries to alter his own destiny by moving a piece of string off this map onto a different location. And this is a good example of how our main theme, which was quite classical in orientation and instrumentation, had to be arranged for... Was it a big band room? Or it's a small big band? It's a small big band <laughs> and delivered in quite an ironic way. It's a, it's a highly charged and emotional breakdown moment for Yossarian, but the music is not just simply emotional. So for something like this theme, how do you work together? Does one of you start it or are you together? Well, yeah, once we've been hired by the chaps to do this thing, we brainstormed in my studio here in Santa Monica and we've both actually done quite a few collaborations, just not with each other. You know, I've done scores with the lead guitarist from Yes, <laughs> with the head boy of Hollywood composing Hans Zimmer and John Powell, a few others, and Rupert has as well. And so uh, I think we both know how to go about that, which doesn't make the job any easier. So we're sitting around my piano in my studio and brainstorming the character and seeing what we can come up with. And once we had that, you know, Rupert has his own studio. He, we would divvy it up and then every few days meet and put our heads together and try not to offend each other. If, if it's we quite didn't. interesting, the, the process of critiquing each other. Yes. We, we're often in the business of critiquing other people who are performing yeah. for us or whatever. So but I had to tread on eggshells a little yeah. bit. We had, <laughs> we had a couple of moments. Choose your adjectives carefully. <laughs> so what does happen when you disagree? I discovered that Harry is much more honest than me. I'm much more diplomatic. Harry just <laughs> says it, which is much better, I think. And mm -hmm. I'll couch it in something nice and then come round. The, well, ultimately, the you know, we didn't disagree about too much, you know, because we're heading towards the same goal which was basically to please the boys, George and Grant. George and Grant would come regularly to my studio and hear music back, and Rupert and I would take it on the chin, whatever that they was going to be. They were really good to work yeah, with. Very, very supportive, very supportive. Yeah. And George is, you know, he made it pretty clear. I remember in one meeting we were playing back a cue, which was quite an orchestral cue, quite a big string arrangement that one of us had done. And I think I was kind of nervous about what his reaction would be. And he had a good reaction to it. He wanted some changes. And I think I said, look, George, you know, when we actually get this played by an orchestra, it's going to sound much better and it'll give you more emotion. And I was trying to forgive it, you know. And he just put his hand up. So, look, Harry, I'm not new to this game. I know my film scores. I know what a demo sounds like and I know how much it's going to sound better. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something a bit more intrinsic within the cue. So he made it pretty clear that he knew the process really well. You know, he's worked with some pretty good composers, isn't he? He knows how it goes for us composers. So that was handy. Hmm. And actually, Grant directed, so they both directed two of the episodes. Right, two, two and then Ellen Curris was yes. the third director. So we did, I think we did it chronologically, didn't we, Rupert? Mostly, pretty much. yeah. We yeah. definitely started at the beginning, as it were, which is quite handy. Quite nice not to have started at the end. So next we'll listen to Snowden from episode six. Would you introduce that? Yeah, so Snowden's, I think he's the last person to die. And there's quite a few. We, we follow these boys through their story, and they're all young, early 20s, fresh-faced Americans, and they get picked off one by one. And Snowden has got a critical injury 
is up in the bomber with Yuzerian and this is what drives Yuzerian just over the top so yeah it's a pretty emotional track let's listen So that was the cue called Snowden, or Prod Snowden cops it, which, as I think I said, really pushes Yuzerin over the top. And this next track follows directly after that in the film, and I think we called it John Yuzerin, and is the culmination of everything that's come before. The John Eusarian cue is the second half of Snowden, the cue, and really it tells a story of, at the beginning of the episode, Eusarian comes in, he hasn't done any bombing runs, he's a young bombardier. By the time we get to episode six, he's senior, he's done 40 bombing runs, and he's starting to receive these young bombers, bombardiers or pilots or side gunners, who have not been on any and he feels senior he feels responsible for them because everybody's dying yeah they're all terrified and so snowden dies but that's where he breaks because he's it's just yet another young kid who arrives and dies on his first bombing run basically and that's why it's so emotional the yozarian track is uh that probably gave us the most difficulty really didn't it because yeah. it was you know george wanted really to stick it to the audience emotionally yet he didn't want to be too manipulative so those are kind of anathema right there <laughs> so it's really how far do we go with the drama and it took us a couple of runs at it not bombing runs but just a couple of runs we had our theme had our arrangement it was just how much at what level do you give it and uh, as we said earlier george is pretty experienced at this so he you know rather than sit in the studio and listen to music saying no nah, i don't like it he'd say no i love this i really like this could you give me 10 percent more at this point or can you dial it back at this point so we'd do that and um, he'd come back and listen and eventually I think we got it how he wanted it. Yeah, it was really about the moment that Yosarian broke. So there were a couple of moments you could interpret and that's the apex of the cue. What do you hope audiences take away from this project? How futile war is, what a waste of young lives and how even in the face of such destruction one can find comedy because that's really what Catch-22 is. It's such an unusual mix of futility of war and the tragedy of lives lost together with 
the irony of some of it and the ludicrousness of the behaviour of some of the senior officers. I mean, George's character is, <laughs> is scheitzkopf. I mean, it tells you everything just in the word, right? And Grant plays the nutty doctor. It's quite funny because we didn't know them very well. And the first meeting we had with them, when we went over to their cutting room to have a look at the first episode that we were going to score, I was sitting next to Grant. I didn't recognise him. It was very nice. And I had really enjoyed the doctor in the episode that we'd just seen. So I said, I think the doctor's really cool. It's such a cool part. And George said, well, you know what? I, we couldn't find anybody else to do it, so Grant had to do it. <laughs> I realised, yes, the actor was sitting next to me. He was also the producer. It's a good job, I said. You know what? I, We've got yeah. to help that character. <laughs> it's we? quite. I might have said, you know what? I'm not sure the doctor's really cutting it here. So that was kind of fun that they're both in it and both directed Let's talk about the both of you. You came from musical families. Tell us about how you got into the business. Well, I could go first because I probably you did go first. You're older. Yeah, no, I've been studying music all my life, which is the same as Rupert, and not composition specifically at all. So after music college, I taught music for a long time. And then I took a job in a recording studio in, in London to learn a little bit about music for film and stuff like that. Through being there, I had a chance meeting with Hans Zimmer in about 1994. And so in the summer of 1995, after he'd left, he'd left to come back to Los Angeles. And I'd got to know him pretty well. I really liked him. We got on really well, like a house on fire. And I was kind of sad when he left. And I realized that there was a, probably an opportunity that had slipped through my fingers there. And I was still at that same studio in London. And uh, the studio manager called me into the room and said, Look, there's someone on the phone for you. His name's Hans Zimmer. I'm like, oh, I wonder what he left behind. He'd brought all over his gear, and then it all disappeared. And uh, so I picked up the phone and said, Hans, what did you leave behind? And he said, you. <laughs> Why don't you just... <laughs> so I said, really? I thought it would be a D50 or an M1 or something he'd left behind. So, he, yeah, he asked me to get on a plane. And back then, prior to 9-11, one could just jump on a plane, get a one-way ticket to America, and duke it out from there. So, yeah, I came here to work with him, for him, what project was that? It was an extremely high-profile project called Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> and he figured, because I'd spent quite a long time teaching children, that I would be the right person to assist him on that movie. I don't think he was wrong. It, it's better that way around than it was the Thin Red Line or something, yeah, or the Gladiator or, or whatever. So, yeah, it was The Muppets. And that was the first film I did with him, and it was the first film I did for Disney, and I've had quite a long run with Disney since then. My story's similar, actually the same as Harry's up until I was about 13. We both were at Cambridge as choristers in the choir there. Five years before me, Harry was head chorister there, and then I went on and became head chorister there, so we were similar, and then we, our paths were very different after that. I went more into the band forum and wanted just to be in a band, play uh, you know, Hammond organ and... Be Frank Zappa. Yeah, be, uh, maybe see if I could just one day get into the Frank Zappa band. <laughs> wasn't really good enough. Um, hey, you know, that, isn't that ironic? Because years later, when you would have come to America, which is five or six years after me, but when I got there, I realised that the guy who orchestrated all Hans's music yeah. was Bruce Fowler. Bruce Fowler Hadn't yeah. he been in Frank Zappa's band? Yeah, he was the trombonist and the arranger and, uh, yeah, and, there you and go. brilliant. Yeah, well, I, that, when I first started working for Hans and, um, and so oh. I found myself standing next to Bruce Fowler, that was a great moment for yeah. me as a great fan of, of Zappa. But yeah, so I played in a lot of bands that didn't go anywhere, had a lot of fun and, and was aware of Harry then off to L.A., and working for Hans and, and doing his thing. And I was 
making a living writing music for commercials and, and what have you, and, and not a great living. And then I met a composer who Harry had worked for, called Richard Harvey, who in, in England, and I paid my dues with him for a couple of years. And then the same thing happened to me. Hans gave me a phone and said, look, your brother's off doing his own thing. <laughs> Can you come out here and give me a hand? And my project was Prince of Egypt, which actually I told Harry today, and he wasn't aware I'd worked on that, but that gave me the opportunity over here to break into movies. And what was it like working on Prince of Egypt with him? It was great. It was a big eye-opener for me because, you know, I was literally, it was Hammond organs and synths and stuff that I was used to hoiking around and the discipline of it sort of shocked me because it was much more random. I was my own boss. I wrote music I wanted to for bands and then the discipline that I realised one had to have for movies 25 years ago took me quite a few years to get used to that. But yeah, no, it was a great experience. And then you most recently did Aquaman. Aquaman. Tell us about that project. That was uh, very different from Catch-22. Big, epic, electronic, uh, orchestral, big chorus. Um, Great working with James Wan. He's a really talented, focused and generous and and lovely man. And yeah, that was my second DC film. So I love working with them and they're always very supportive. And the film didn't do too badly. (laughs) Now, next up for you is DreamWorks Animation's Abominable. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's why I record that actually in three weeks' time, four weeks. And I think I wrote the last note yesterday until I had to write another note on it. But that's going to be fun. I think that comes out in September. It's a big, sweeping, fun tale about children, but it's based around a fiddle player. And so I've been involved Who for years. Who befriends a yeti. And, oh, there is a yeti involved called Everest. And, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. And Harry, one of your upcoming projects is Disney's Mulan. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about that. One of my favourite film scores from way back when was Jerry Goldsmith's score to the original Mulan. It's tough to step in the shoes of someone as great as Jerry Goldsmith, and I've had to do it a couple of times. He did the original Total Recall, and I did the remake of Total Recall. But no, it's going to be very good. It's a live-action version of Mulan, and I feel fortunate to be doing it. I know exactly why. I was chosen because about three, four years ago, I managed to do a film with Nikki Cara, who directed this film called Zookeeper's Wife. Yeah, and, and she hadn't ever thought about hiring me before that, and I hadn't ever worked with her. So we had a really good experience on that, and she was chosen to do this project, so she asked me to come along. So that's going to be awesome. I'm recording that in London, I think in September. Mm-hmm. What is that collaboration like with the director? Really good, really fruitful. She's very smart, and she's exactly the right person to direct this movie. Zookeeper's wife's good score. Oh, thanks. But she's a good director, so, yeah, I'm very hopeful about that. In addition to Mulan and Abominable, what else is on your plate? I'm presently working on Catherine the Great with a director from The Crown I worked with before called Philip Martin. Helen Mirren plays Catherine the Great, and Philip is quite an edgy director. He's directed in a way that isn't a conventional costume drama. Yeah, and I've got a bit of a change of pace. I'm doing some string arrangements for a friend of mine's record, Paul Oakenfold, who's a very good friend of mine, and a talented DJ, one of the kind of original Ibiza guys. I've collaborated with him quite a lot over the years. Maybe at this point I should give fair notice to the Newman brothers um, and the Danner brothers, Jeff and Michael, because the Gregson Williamses are coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.